Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Window, episode 33. I am Patrick Jinks, leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. And uh, we are we're going to have a really great episode today. Uh, I say that every week because we have great episodes every week, but for real this time. Uh, we're going to get into uh, meeting and talking with Daniel Andrews. Uh, before we do, I want to tell you that we have a new sponsor of this program, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, many of you know that I am an adjunct, a certified adjunct leadership uh, coach with Leadership Systems Incorporated, and they are a sponsor of this program. You might recall Jim, Dr. Jim Smith, the founder of LSI, who's on our advisory board, was actually my first guest on this podcast. So he's been on the show. We have Michael Wallace a couple of weeks ago, who's their lead coach trainer on the program. And we just always have great rich content when uh, LSI folks are on the show. But uh, Leadership Systems has been coaching top executives from around the world since 1992. Uh, Dr. Jim Smith is a 30-year coach and trainer at the Center for Creative Leadership and uh, founder of Leadership Systems. And they've been not only coaching top executives from around the world, but also teaching the art of coaching to thousands of leaders since that time. And LSI helps people to develop their skills, reach goals, uh, inspire those around you to maximize their success. So whether you want to receive coaching from a certified coach at LSI or whether you want to learn coaching skills, become a coach yourself, either professionally or inside your organization, or you just want to simply grow yourself or your team through leadership development, LSI is the place to turn. And uh, just visit leadershipsystems.com for more information. And if you visit leadershipsystems.com forward slash jinx, leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, you will find uh, one way they're sponsoring the leadership window. Just for the listeners of this program, they're offering incredibly special rates on things like their leadership coaching uh, practicum, their roundtable mastermind group, their short version of leadership coaching training, and they're offering these at some serious deep discounts for our listeners. So uh, if you've got a need on your team or yourself for, for coaching, for coaching training, learning more, visit leadershipsystems.com slash jinx. Now I will tell you the events that they are discounting are dated and they, it's a sort of a revolving schedule through the year. So if you go there this week, you may find this week's dates on there, which probably too late for you to take advantage of, but keep that bookmark that page and go back to it because as they schedule the next version of that event, they'll update that page with the new dates and those discounts will still be there for you. So reach out to them to learn more. We really do appreciate our friends and colleagues at LSI because it's, it's all about leadership. So um, our guest today is Daniel Andrews. Uh, he is a, best way I could describe him, he's a networking and relationship specialist. And by specialist, I don't mean he's just 
a professional and trainer. I mean, he is a specialist at it. He lives it. Uh, we, you, you're going to kind of find out. You'll just hear this stuff just kind of just emanates naturally from him when we talk about networking and relationship. He lives it, um, but I'm not going to give a whole lot of his bio because I'm actually going to ask him to tell some of his story. But um, here's what I would say about Dan is that I don't, you know, Dan has a business. Um, it's here in Columbia, in my hometown of Columbia, South Carolina, and, and he works and networks all over the place, of course. But Dan has a business and it happens to be, you guessed it, a networking business. And no, it's not Amway. Uh, it, we're going to learn what he does. He connects people. He connects people for, uh, for lots of different reasons. And I can tell you, I don't think he has ever asked me, uh, for a dollar for anything. Uh, he's never sold me anything. He's never asked me to pay him something for anything. He did once. And that's when I asked him, Hey, what would it take if we did such and such and such and such? And he said, I don't know. We, you know, we'd be flexible. We'd do this, that, or the other, but you know, you might be looking, let's, what about this? What if we worked out this deal or that deal? But he never, he as yet, I've been here, you know, five years, six years now. And he, he's never asked me for, for business. What he has done is offer his support and help. Hey, who can I connect you with? Hey, he'll send me an email. Uh, hey, here's, here's somebody you might want to know. Um, if I bring up a name, he pulls out his notepad and he writes it down. He's like, so who is that? And why, and why should I know him? And how, where can I, it's, it's just amazing to watch him live and operate in this networking and relationship business. And I'm glad I have a relationship with him. So trust me, it's not, this isn't someone you're like, oh, I don't, what if I don't want a relationship with you? <laughs> this is someone's like good to know. Dan is just a good person to know. Um, I'm going to let him tell the rest of his story, but uh, I do know that part, here's what I liked about his bio is that it says that in 2003, he moved to St. Louis, go Cardinals. Uh, listeners of this program know that I like that part. And, but I love this. It says where he, where his second attempt to launch an employee benefits brokerage was successful. Now, I don't know if that implies that his first one was unsuccessful or if it is that it, this is his second uh, success. But by, by, the, by the virtue of the fact that it says it's his second attempt, I'm going to let him answer this in a minute. But I, I'm, I'm inferring that the first one was a failure. And I love that because I love that he actually put it out here. Um, that, Hey, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing things, Hey, there's everything's not going to work, but you don't stop. You keep going, you, you keep trying. So in any case, uh, he returned to Columbia a little bit after I did 2016 and he did that to be near some family and, and, uh, brought some stuff with him and, and things that he's doing now. So here he is on the program in the studio with us. And thanks for coming over, Dan, by the way, for our listeners, we're, we're doing this at six 30 in the morning because Dan has relationships to go build. <laughs> so Dan, welcome uh, to the Jinx Perspective, and thanks for, for finally working this out with us. I'm so happy to be here, Patrick. I appreciate the kind words that you shared. Um, yeah, you were talking about that. I've never asked you for business. I'm like, I'm very sure I've cashed a check with your name on it at least once, but I had forgotten how that evolved. Uh, but you're right. It was a several of us sitting around going, what, what could we create together, and what would it look like to make that happen? And I was happy to be a part of that and that we have continued our relationship professionally without it being, you know, trading, you know, dollars for time, you know, just there's value in knowing each other and seeing what's going on. Well, I mean, what I've observed is that you, you live that whole idea of if you live it, you don't have to sell it. 
just live it. It sells itself. And, um, that's what I mean by, you know, you, you never put a hard sell on me. I've never seen you put a hard sell on anybody. People just watch it and go, I want that. Like what, how, how would I get that? How do I connect? Look, look at this guy. I mean, you were one of the first names that I was introduced to by people that I started to know when I came to Columbia. It's like, do you know Daniel Andrews? And so I, I, th I think that's a, you're living it. And, and I think that's a great way to do business. I find that if I coach people, it, it, not, not uninvited, but you know, if we're having a conversation and they're sharing a struggle with me and, and I coach them a little bit and add some value for them, you know, I don't have to go, do you want some more of that? <laughs> you know? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, well, Dan, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to start by just, uh, um, you know, I mentioned one piece of your journey, which was St. Louis and your, your benefits brokerage firm, but I'd like for you to say maybe a little bit more about your journey here. How did, how did you get to this point to be a networking and relationship specialist and have a, a networking business? How did you get to this place? Sure. Uh, and that's a question that a lot of, a lot of people ask because I'm, I really am. I can't say unique. There's about 55 of us that do what uh, I do around the country, but uh, I'm certainly uh, the only one within a couple hundred miles of where we are right now. And the first person that almost anybody that I encounter has encountered that does what I do. And so I, I do get the question of how did you create this business? How did you get here? And I'll give you the short version. I've been self-employed uh, uh, for 33 years of my adult life. Um, <clears throat> I'm not counting selling programs at USC football games and the lemonade stand and door-to-door -door greeting cards and all that stuff mm -hmm. in uh, middle school. But um, I grew up here in Columbia. I uh, went to Dreer High School, for those of you that are local that might be listening, and uh, off to college in Atlanta, Georgia, and then back here. Uh, and worked for the first half of my professional career with a direct sales company, uh, which was not in any way, shape, or form an MLM or a network marketing, but it was direct sales. We literally went to people's houses, showed products, uh, wrote an order or not, and then asked for referrals. And I don't know whether that early experience, starting at the age of 20, informed my ability perspective on relationship and referral and here's somebody you ought to go talk to or whether I took to that naturally because I was already kind of a connector sort of a person. Uh, I will say that, that, um, well, I'll loop back to that in a minute. So 15 years doing that full-time here in Columbia, moved to St. Louis and attempted to start an employee benefits brokerage. The idea of repeating income seemed very attractive to me at that moment because I had been trading my hours for dollars for all of my life up to that point. <clears throat> and St. Louis was an interesting place to fail. <clears throat> and it strengthened my understanding of relationships because uh, St. Louis is a very odd town. Uh, one of the first questions they typically ask you is, where did you go to school? And they do not mean college, they mean high school. Mm. More than 50% of the population of St. Louis attends a private Catholic high school of some sort. And they feel that they can tell everything they want to know about you. Well, let me phrase it differently. They can tell everything they want to know about mm -hmm. you. Not everything necessarily that they should, but mm -hmm. want to know about you. You know, what side of town, how much money your family had, who your friends probably were. And when you're in, so anyway, uh, and they will listen to your value proposition. This is on a B2B level. They will listen to your value proposition, tell you they'll think about it, literally call through their high school yearbook to see if they know somebody that does what you do and bring those people in. 
And, and I did not understand that when I first got there. And so my first attempt at launching an employee benefits brokerage failed, went on to another endeavor, uh, cause I had to pay the bills and came back to it once I kind of figured that out and then was very successful, uh, at my next foray into that because I never went into, I found a few of the people in St. Louis and I got to be honest, I incentivized them, i.e. made them insurance agents and gave them a part of the deal to create the introductions for me. But I almost never went into a business or certainly didn't start going into a business or start the conversation without uh, Bert or Sam or Lee with me uh, to create that credibility. And and it, if I tried to tell you the story, it would sound um, hyperbolic or comical, the degree to which I'm there and the two the business owner and Bert are talking personal, literally about high school. And me and the CFO are trying to talk across the table about our value proposition. It's just the seating was bad. We, you know, we should have put those two on one side and me and the CFO on the other, but it was just absolute comical, the degree to which they put the emphasis on, on who you knew. And then, uh, moved to Houston, uh, carried my benefits brokerage with me there immediately had to start networking. It's a huge town, but I didn't know where to start. So I started networking there and eventually encountered, uh, the organization I work with now, it's called Network in Action. Uh, website is exactly that, networkinaction.com. And uh, was a client there, and it was very helpful and established in personal and professional relationships. And then as I went to leave there uh, and moved back to South Carolina, as Patrick said, for, for family reasons, the founder was like, you know, you're pretty good at this. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you connect the dots well, you are very giving, you you give more than you take. He said, have you ever thought about making a living simply connecting people? And I said, it, I've done it my whole life very casually. And my first wife used to say consistently, gosh, it's a shame you can't make a living, you know, for all the handshakes you've created between other people. And he said, well, here's the model. And he showed it to me and drew some numbers on a piece of paper and I bought a franchise and moved home to South Carolina. So here I am doing it. Wow. Um, so when I, when I heard networking in action for the first time, and I, maybe you, I don't know if you get this a lot, but my first thought was uh, network marketing. Like, you know, I mentioned Amway a while ago, sort of tongue in cheek, but when you say network in action and, and it's this group of people that network and connect, you start thinking, is this a, like a pyramid marketing sort of thing? And it's not that at all. Obviously not, that's, that's even not even what it is, but how would you describe if you had to, if you had to sum up network in action and what it does in a, in a, in a sentence, how would you describe the essence of the business and what its purpose is? Sure. Well, I'll t- start by telling you what it's not. And it, you know, everybody's perspective is influenced by their, their history. You know, they're all looking through their own keyhole, mm-hmm. you know, their own lens. So sometimes I get, uh, sound, you know, sounds like network marketing because you start a sentence with the word network right? in a business to business setting. What I typically find is that people, uh, default to, um, organizations that use the word network, but they're really just leads groups. They're very transactional in nature. Mm. And uh, we skew heavily on the other end of that spectrum towards relationships. And uh, I could talk at length about that. But uh, about a year ago, one of my clients referred to me as a networking concierge. So I've kind of run with that title for a while. Uh, Before I got engaged and then married the second time, I led with I get paid to go to cocktail parties, you know, which, of course, has got (laughs) its, you know, own. uh, Anyway, it was an edgy way to introduce myself. And I did it on purpose. And uh, the woman that I am now married to objected and. I said, well, when you make me an honest man and put a ring on it, I'll stop leading with that introduction. <laughs> so I did. But now I lead with, you know, networking concierge. So I, I help people in one sentence. 
I help people build strong business relationships through strategic introductions. Uh, who do I know that can support your business that talks to the same sorts of customers you want to talk to at roughly the same point in time? Um, you know, it's somebody that you can build a, a long-term referral relationship with is kind of my perspective on that. And then if people need a little bit of uh, support or coaching around uh, turning a business card into a relationship, I can certainly do that, whether with my clients or, you know, just some, we call it a 90-day sprint. You know, I do some, some I don't want to say casual, but some brief focused coaching around anybody that needs help turning a business card into a relationship. Well, I, I think it's an incredibly valuable business. And when you think of it as a business, when you say terms like business to business, at least for our listeners, right? A lot of our listeners, not all of them, but a lot of our listeners are in the nonprofit world and mm -hmm. uh, business to business and referrals for sales and all that. That's not for me. But what you're describing, I know somebody you should know, and I can help open that door for you. That's got nonprofit written all over it. I mean, when I moved, for example, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, very unique town, uh, I didn't know anybody. And I was succeeding a person who had been in the CEO role in that organization, that nonprofit organization there for uh, the better part of 30 years. So you're, you're, you know, she wasn't a founder CEO, but might as well have been. And, and her husband, by the way, was a, was a big deal in town at the college. And so, you know, I'm going in and I'm succeeding someone who has all these relationships and is retiring by the way. And I come in and I'm in the interview and I remember asking, they were talking about how many major givers they had that they, they have this society of, you know, $10,000 mm -hmm. givers. Sure. And I said, so they were, and they were proud of it. We have X number of individuals and couples that, you know, contribute annually to us at this level. And I said, how many of them are giving to the organization and how many of them are giving to the CEO? Meaning I'm giving because of the relationship, right. because you need to know, I don't come in with that. Yeah. And they, they looked at each other like, holy moly, we hadn't even thought about that. And if you're going to come into that role, you have to establish that benchmark because if donations start to drop from that core group, yeah, you need yeah. to be able to explain that it's not that it's you, it's that it's not her. Right. Well, yeah. and better yet, I need to move very quickly mm -hmm. to make sure those mm -hmm. donations don't drop mm -hmm. and we don't lose those people. And how do I do that? Take I get her people, I, her <laughs> or other people on the board who also know right. the, so I don't just pick up the phone and call these people and go, Hey, I'm the new CEO and we want you to keep giving. So uh, let's right. do lunch. It's the board chair saying, hey, I want you to meet our new CEO. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we have a Q&A and it's but someone has to open yep. that up. So nonprofits know this for donor uh, relationships mm -hmm. who can open doors. We're constantly wanting our board to open doors for us. And yet when we when I know this in the nonprofit sector, so many leaders in the nonprofit sector are terrified of the chamber after hours event. So they understand the one-on-one -on -one relationship connecting, but when it comes to networking in a group and like mm -hmm. going and, and shaking hands and those kinds of things, they're just like, oh, I'm so out of my element. I, I, I can't, I can't stand to do it, particularly uh, rising leaders and aspiring leaders. It's one of the areas where for some reason, a lot of the nonprofit leaders that I'm coaching, they struggle with that aspect of it, that networking, that getting out there, maybe they're introverted or they just don't know how to do it. And they watch other people work a room 
and they don't really know how to do it. So I want to hear some of the tips and tricks about that uh, along the way. But that's my experience. When you say I connect mm-hmm. people and, and mm-hmm. create the relationships, I mean, that's who could not use that? Like who, who, who doesn't need relationships and, and networking at some level in sure. their, in their leadership journey? Well, I, yeah, the, um, you know, there's a recent book out that's quite popular. I'm blanking on the name of the author, but it's called who not how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that really sums up, you know, the, the essence of, of what I do and offer. And <clears throat> you work around nonprofits. Most of the time I encounter my fair share of them. I don't want to pin anything on nonprofits. I would say that mm-hmm. lots of business people uh, and leaders, CEOs, board directors, whatever you want to call them, could use some guidance in turning, uh, purposefully turning a business card, a handshake, and introduction into a relationship, which they don't all need to. But if it is appropriate, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that uh, the the nonprofit world is probably starting one step back for one simple reason. I I don't know that I would label them as uh, generically introverted and not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, But I think that what I see in nonprofits is the people that lead it or pardon my cough are dialed into the mission and they forget that they need relationships the same way a business person does they forget that what they're doing looks a lot more like a business than they think it does Mm -hmm. in terms of uh quote customers i.e donors patrons you know who they're serving you know depending on the nature of the organization and they're in their role not because they think they have a better widget to offer the world and are prepared to figure out how to get the word out but because they're passionate about their thing and they think that if they simply, you know, hoist the flag high enough or have a bright enough lighthouse that that will then attract the world and it will attract some people, but they can make a huge difference. And so it's a, my best guess based on a number of interactions is that they're um, the fact that they have not oriented themselves around what elements of business development and B2B uh, apply to, to my thing. And I'm not trying to say that every nonprofit is just like a business, but there's a lot more elements there than I think most of the leaders that I encounter are aware of. They're, they're missing the similarities. Uh, that makes good sense. And I think you said it a lot better than I did. I think it was, I think it is unfair to, you know, pin on nonprofits that they're not good at relationships or don't like right. it. I'm, what I'm saying is in my, in my coaching experience, I run across a lot of leaders and, and it's not always the CEO's most, most of the CEOs have figured it out because they have to, um, but, but the rising leaders yeah. are often the ones that are scared of the networking and by scared of the networking. I'm talking more of the group kind of networking. Right. So when you're doing networking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a difference between, I mentioned the chamber after hours event, sure. right? That's the quintessential iconic sure. networking event. That's a networking event. That's like speed dating, you know, but what you're doing is you're connecting people more one-on-one as well. Uh, how, how, tell us about the continuum there of sure well and um the chamber after hours and events like that we'll just use that as our stand-in for all sorts of things Mm -hmm. um is is where i get my work done meaning if those didn't exist then i don't know to what degree i could have built the business as quickly as i did 
So those are there. They have a reason. They have a purpose. They certainly have a purpose for me. And I I will invite my clients to attend uh, those if I think that if I think or I know that the right person or right, when I say person, it could simply be a role, an industry, or literally a person. You know, the, the world-famous Patrick Jinks is, Jinx is going to be there. you got to meet this guy. You know, you need to come to One Million Cups on such and such a day. Um, but uh, my part of my value proposition, and just to kind of finalize the, the business model, not to sound anywhere like a sales pitch, um, I've got about 55 people that pay me an annual retainer for quality introductions. It's just that simple. And so I go to these events and I can sort the room very quickly. I speak to everybody there. I'm representing at one level 55 people. So the odds that any one event is going to have quite a high value for my clients, plural, on the other side of this is pretty high. And, um, so I go in and I meet people and I can start to see and feel where they impact the world and where that crosses over with some of the other, uh, with the clients that I have and things like that. And then I will and do create those introductions, typically via email or text thread, occasionally Facebook messenger, depending on the, the vibe of the, the, the connection I'm trying to create, uh, you know, just start an email thread, you know, with three of us in it, you know, Patrick meet, uh, Holly Kyle, Holly Kyle meet Patrick Jenks, uh, you know, this is what I think uh, Patrick can offer you. This is what I think you can offer Patrick. Why don't you go to lunch and get things kicked off here and see where we go from there. And so I, I've taken uh, some of the effort out of the sorting process. You know, somebody can be very capable and comfortable going to the business after hours, but if they've got a family at home or they've just spent a long day building widgets back at the widget office, you know, the widget factory, they don't necessarily want to go or... I mean, I remember when my business was employee benefits, I actually had to put a financial and time budget on the number of networking events I would go to because otherwise I would have, you know, it would have been 80% networking and 20% actually generating a little more immediate income. Um, And so, you know, kind of the first level of that I, I sift through. But I certainly work, like I said, with some of my clients and people who aren't networking clients, but simply coaching clients on a 90 day sprint around how to turn a business card uh, into a relationship and and what to do at something like that. And I think you may see it more, again, you're seeing it more in mom profits because that's where you hang out. I don't want to say that they're better or worse at any of this, but I think the laser focus uh, that usually accompanies a nonprofit means they'll walk in a room and go, I don't see anybody here that, that needs me or I need them and I'm done. And they're missing the fact that uh, the people in the room might not be who they need to talk to, mm. but the people in the room know the people are connected to the people to they talk need to. to. Yeah. And I just brought on a client recently. It's not a nonprofit, but it's a good example. She said, I'm going to need some help right at the beginning. And I said, okay, that's, you know, there's a whole model for that. You know, it's an upgrade 90 day upgrade on the networking retainer. And she said, I'm used to interacting with people and sorting them into customers, Potential customers or not potential customers. Now, she treats everybody through respect. She all knows we're made in God's image. and But just in her head, there's two categories. People that may eventually buy from me, people that will never eventually buy from me. And she said, I, I need help around that third category, which is people that will never buy from me, but no people that will buy from me. And, and so it, she was able to acknowledge that it's literally having a vision for a third category of person. And that's what I help a lot of people with, helping them to f- develop the sense that there's a third category of person and how to identify them and what to do with them once you've met them. 
I don't know. This is probably across sectors. I, I would almost, I'm sitting here thinking there's probably 20 categories of people. If we really thought about it, you know, there's, it, it's, there's probably layer upon layer. I'm thinking for a nonprofit, I love your, your picture of going into a room and going, man, I don't see anybody here that, you know, needs me or I need them. You know, nonprofits need board members. They need volunteers. They need people who are connected to providers. They need donors. They need policymakers and influencers. They need business sponsorships. They need, you know, brand. They need, I mean, there's so many things that if you walk into a room of people you don't know, there's a billion assets in that room that, that you could leverage if you had relationships with them. It's, it's what we don't know that kind of hurts us there, you know, as well, I don't see it right off the bat. So it must not be here. Oh, right. Correct. And I mean, even a business has categories, a new employee, a new vendor, you know, a customer. So I don't, so the difference to me isn't putting a specific label on the number of categories. I, you know, but it's, it's the notion that you're using by, by from you in a broader sense, right. That, that, that I have to go through the yeah. people in the room yeah. uh, to, to make this happen. And that's that's where most people, in other words, you either meet an immediate need of mine or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to treat you well and be polite and mm-hmm. toast you, you know, move on to the next person if you can't meet an immediate, meet an immediate need of mine. But the notion that, um, you know, and we know how to relate to those people, a potential employee, a potential vendor, a potential customer. We, we, we have models for interacting with those people, but there's not a lot of modeling that we see or taught or, or uh, is exampled for us anywhere along the path of how do you nurture a relationship that's going to have a payoff that's weeks, months, years down the road. And then, of course, part of the fear is what if I nurture this and turns out it's the wrong person or he leaves his industry and I've got a great relationship with a guy who's just moved across the country. And, Mm. you know, um, so I I, and it's true that most of us at any given moment are focused on what's in right in front of us. You know, that's that's a struggle I have. You know what? You know, the things on my desk get done, the things in the back of my head, you know, don't come to fruition nearly as quickly. So I certainly don't want to disrespect anybody for having that mindset because there's not a lot of space around that. But if they can, if they can either do that or are willing to be coached on how to do that, then I can then create value for them over that time frame. Some of my favorite calls from potential clients and eventual clients are the ones where they say, you know, three years ago, I went to one of your workshops or I met you at a such and such mm-hmm. and, and I don't even remember them, but they remembered me something about the interaction. And so when the time came for them to need whatever it is that they think I can offer them, there's a, there's a, a bank of trust there. I didn't even know existed because of some interaction small as it might be. And so I think we underestimate the power of every interaction. I mean, every interaction has potential. Would you agree? I mean, for something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the, the ability to see it and to be comfortable asking for that. I'm looking for somebody that does X, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, and it's absolutely fascinating to me to, um, to see that. And of course with technology, these connections can be made instantly. I, I, um, asked for, uh, one of my clients is a professional photographer. I asked her for some tips on, on doing better on LinkedIn. She said, follow this guy who happens to be local employee benefits broker. Very interesting. He and I connect, uh, I go on his calendar, ask for a quick half hour of his time. He, he volunteers quite a bit of information to me. I've got an outline right here in my notebook. This was just yesterday. 
<clears throat> I said, how can I serve you in this moment? And he said, um, based on my business model at the moment, I don't have a need, you know, that's staring back at me. I said, well, I'm going to give you one that you might know you had. You need to meet Thomas Quigley. Uh, and, um, you know, he's part of my LinkedIn profile. And as we're talking via Zoom, you know, he taps on his keyboard and he goes, oh, in Ohio. I'm like, right, him, you know. And so the ability to, to create that uh, quickly and to see the value there. And then, you know, as I was wrapping up, I said, you know, um, I'm looking for somebody in this particular category. You know, do you know anybody off the top of your head? He goes, my wife recruits into that category. I will find somebody for you very quickly. And if I hadn't said that to him, you know, the cost of one sentence, I need somebody in this category. Do you know somebody? Is that you? Do you know somebody? Or do you know somebody that would know somebody? Yeah. And we're one degree of separation from me to Sam to his wife to whoever it is. Yeah. Meaning one degree more, meaning it wasn't Sam, but right. it was Sam's wife that knew. So right. now I'm th three degrees of separation. Me to Sam, to his wife, to whoever she introduces me to. Yeah. Now you're talking a lot about that immediate initial introduction and, hey, I'm looking for this kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm working on reconciling that in my head and I'm trying to imagine the, the various scenarios and the value of an introduction where you're not asking for something. Where the first, where the first meeting is not, you know, will you marry me? Right. The first meeting is, Hey, tell me about your business. Tell me who you are and what you, you know, and it's, it's that, it's that trust and relationship without, without asking for them. You know what I need? I need this. Um, how do you, how do you sort of create, you know, the, the continuum again, be, between that initial introduction, say in a, in an event where it's expected to hand out cards and say what you do, right. Mm -hmm. Versus this, you know, you need to know somebody or, or, or connect. Correct. I don't, I don't, and I don't mean to imply that a relationship isn't important. Um, I felt like in the 30 minutes that he and I zoomed, which would to me be very different than a 30 minute phone call. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam and I have been able to, to, to form at least a couple of degrees of connection. Mm -hmm. But I would say too, that there is, and I'll, and I'll loop back to that, but I want to clarify one concept, which is I firmly believe that there's a difference between asking somebody, do you know somebody that I'm looking for sure. as opposed to saying, is it you? Meaning if I had simply asked Sam, but then that conversation said, Hey, you're the guy I'm looking for. Um, you know, you know, do you want to be a client? <clears throat> um, which isn't, wouldn't have been entirely inappropriate, but it, it would have carried a different weight than simply saying, I'm looking for a client like you, who can you think of? And yeah. because people actually take a little bit of pride in, knowing somebody that needs that. And if they know somebody that needs what I have, even if they never heard of me before just now, and that person doesn't know that I exist and therefore doesn't know that I'm the answer to what they're looking for, they take a bit of pride in solving their friend's problem. You know, so, so part of that is the comfort of knowing that I offer something valuable. And when I say, can you send somebody my way? It's not for my benefit yep. strictly. It's because I can serve these sorts of people. So I would say there's a distinction between, you know, do you know somebody that, that is the sort of person I need to talk to? Um, and, and asking somebody, will you be my customer, client, donor? Yeah, that member, makes sense. It's all about the framing of the conversation. Right. So you got to be skilled at that. Right. Well, and asking somebody for their time and money is one thing and asking somebody for a referral is, is another yeah. thing. Yeah. No uh, doubt. So, so, but yeah, um, I, I think, uh, you know, you need to build a degree of credibility and trust, which can sometimes be done in a 30 minute phone call. Sometimes it's, it's more than one of those. And I think, 
uh, it's built typically around a model of, of mutual benefit. Um, are there ways in which I can serve you and you can serve me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking with a mover one time. He goes, I understand networking. I know tons of real estate agents. And I said, excellent. How many divorce attorneys do you know? And he's like, I, I never thought of that. And I said, well, that's why I get paid. Cause I think of this, you know, and, and those two people could be good for each other. You know, sometimes the mover gets called before the divorce attorney, you know, and yep. he can, you know, and sometimes the divorce attorney gets called before the mover. That's you know? a great point. Back in my United Way days to draw the nonprofit parallel there, we used to have what we called the campaign cabinet. And these were, this was like a, you know, this was the group of volunteers who were leading the campaign, the annual mm-hmm. fundraising campaign mm-hmm. of United Way. And the cabinet in those days, some of them are still built like this, but most of them aren't. But in those days, it was industry built. So you had a chair over the finance, insurance, and real estate businesses. You had a chair over the manufacturing sector. You had a vice chair for retail and and so on. And uh, this was, you know, this was in my early, my my first United Way uh, deal, you know, 30-something years ago. And uh, we're, we're talking about building the cabinet. And someone said why do we have car dealers calling on car dealers to raise money for United way? So, well, because they know each other and there's an affinity and they're car dealers. And he's no, we need to have the car dealers calling on the media because who runs full pages in the newspaper with car sales? <laughs> who is going to pick who, who is, is the publisher more likely to pick up the phone Mm-hmm. If a car dealer president is calling them, <laughs> right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, it was that same thing. It was, let's, let's not go with the, the, you know, narrow view of who ought to be connecting to who I'll tell you right. something else that I've learned is that when you recruit a volunteer for a nonprofit board, like an accountant, our thought is immediately we'll put you on the finance committee. That accountant may have joined your organization because they want to do anything but accounting. They want to they want to connect to an early childhood initiative or they want to get into your youth development or your women's leadership program or whatever. They yeah. don't they they they're trying to get away from Yes. And from that. And we don't ask people why why did you step into this? Exactly. So you it's know? about asking and discovering just like it would be at a at a networking meet. Correct. I'll tell you I'm I'm not I haven't been the greatest person in those chamber after hours meeting you know i've had to work at it i learned two techniques love your take on this tell me tell me if the if you think these are good ones they've at least <laughs> it works as good if it doesn't it's bad it's well they've helped they've helped me feel well, more then. comfortable so here, here one is um I, i've definitely found that asking people about their business asking people questions about them you're you've scored because mm-hmm. you've done several things one you don't have to feel like you're selling you're showing interest in the other person and you may be doing them a big favor because they may be like you and they're uncomfortable. But when you ask them, it frees them up to really talk and say stuff. So I've learned that, that I don't have to walk up and say, well, let me tell you what I do. Right. Mm-hmm. There's Bad that idea. fear that you have to do that. The second thing is that I will find someone like you in the room and say, Dan, I don't know many people in this room, but you know what I do who are three people I should meet before I walk out of here? And then would you walk over and introduce them to me? It, it's very coincidental that you say that, uh, uh, missional, I would even say, because when you first said, let me tell you what I've learned, that that was the technique that went to me. After you've introduced yourself to one person briefly, because networking is not prospecting. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and Good networking is not selling. Good distinction. Ooh, that's a mistake I see. You know, people go, oh, room full of folks. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pitch to everybody here. No, that's not. Nope. Nope. I mean, you can, but, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, it's exactly that. You know, uh, hey, there's no way I'm going to get to all 50 people that are in the room. You know, who in here is somebody that, that I need to know? Mm. Uh, and of course, you, you, you would know whether or not that's an appropriate question by simply saying, is this an organization that you've been you know, part of? Have you come to many of their things? You know, because some people, you don't want to put them on the spot if it's their first time ever as well. You know, but you could you could then depart from that person with the notion that, OK, now that I know what you do, if I meet anybody that I think needs to know you, I'll 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 look for you in the room and pull you over. You know, make sure and tell me before you leave so I don't try to introduce you when you're gone and vice versa. Now that you know what I do, you know, if you go left and I go right, let's see who what we can do for each other. And people a lot of times are, are you know, again, happy to help. They know that they've now kind of doubled their manpower in the room, so to speak, that you're going to be, you know, asking smart questions about, you know, do they need to meet? you know, the person that you just met, yep. but yeah. Um, and then, uh, as, as, a, as a subset of that, and it's just one that I like to promote cause it, it's worked really well for me. Um, it, whether you're an introvert or not, uh, you can, if you find the people that are on the edge of the room and not engaging because it's uncomfortable for them, they could, they could be an uncomfortable extrovert even. And you walk over and introduce yourself, not confrontate, not, I don't even want to say confrontationally, not face to face, kind of ease over, turn to face the same way they do and go, yeah, these things can, can be a little tough sometimes, can't they? Mm. And they go, yeah. And you've made a friend mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you can talk to them about what they do. And then you can be like, uh, Hey, there's somebody here. I think might, might want to Hey, will you follow me for a minute? There's somebody I want to introduce you to because they, a lot, most folks, introvert or extrovert are a lot more comfortable on a targeted introduction, meaning if I think they need to know somebody or they know what somebody does for a living, you know, that they go, oh, that's the person I want to talk to as opposed to how do I even sort this? You know, mm -hmm. this can be overwhelming. How do I, how do I determine and, and how do I exit? If, if I, after a few sentences, I realize that you and I don't have any long-term value for each other, how do I disengage without being trapped? You know? So let me shift gears a minute, sure. Dan. Um, we're, we're in an age right now for the past year and for, for several months to come yet where we've got cardboard cutouts in the stands at, at, <laughs> at sporting events. And we're, we're talking to little boxes on our screens and, mm -hmm. you know, everything is virtual and uh, don't get me started on, you know, just how, how the new generate, how today's generations connect with people. Uh, but, mm -hmm. um, you're, I would think your business, I mean, this is, some businesses have thrived during this and some have been like, okay, this is quite a challenge because you're, you're talking about how, what did you say that the chamber after hours type events, you wouldn't have a business if it weren't for those. And yet right now those aren't happening, at least not in any kind of physical presence. How do people pivot and shift and still employ the kind of networking and relationship skills that leaders need to build in this, in the, in a period like this? Uh, excellent question. And one that I was asking myself, uh, very hard, uh, exactly, uh, <laughs> one year ago today. Um, I, I would say a, a couple of things have, have led to my ability to continue to thrive through this. One of which was that, uh, I was already established. I was just a smidge over three years into this, um, and have continued to attract new clients, I think in part because, there's a struggle to build your own network. So you need to, to be part of one that already exists or somebody that can 
streamline the process, such as myself. And the other is because I leaned heavily into, um, I don't even like the word training, education and understanding around how do you create connection uh, in a group of people, be it an external or internal group, uh, in person or digitally, with an emphasis in this moment on how to how to do that digitally. So I, I, my first response was not that I'm going to continue to grow my business, although that did turn out to be the case. My first response is how do I continue to serve the clients I have without – and I don't think any of them would have asked for a refund, but uh, you know, my heart is such that if I could not continue to provide value at that level, I would have refunded some or all of their money and sent them home. So my first point was, you know, they've trusted me to continue to build a relationship for them, or excuse me, assist them in the process of building a relationship. How can I learn how to do that? So I was fortunate enough to have access to know where that was, to have already saved up the money for the training uh, that was needed, and um, leaned into that pretty he- pretty heavily, pretty quickly. Uh, I, there are people that do what I do around the country that were literally just opening up. They had just bought their franchise. They're in states that aren't open for or weren't at the time open for in-person uh, events. And and they struggled. You know, uh, they, they made it work, but they had to do a lot, a lot, a lot of pivots. I would say that in, in a, I think that we've got uh, now that people are comfortable with Zoom uh, and other digital platforms. I don't need to endorse one particular brand, but it's the one I use. Uh I think we we've got a tool that we didn't have before. Meaning, if I needed to talk with you and we couldn't meet in person because you're on the road all the time, Patrick, and I'm home because I'm a homebody, uh, we, we were stuck with a phone call. But the fact that we can Zoom now means that I can read body language. You know, there's just a personal connection in the smile and the laugh. You know, when I'm being silent, you don't know, you don't think we've been disconnected. You know that I'm, I'm laughing so hard I can't speak, you know, or I'm busy type, you know, scratching notes because you said something profound or whatever the case may be. And so I, I think we lean into the digital call a little bit more and we allow people uh, the grace to have a background that's uh, less than ideal. You know, I, you know, when it first started, I'm like, oh, I need the virtual background or I need to, you know, up my home office or get an office space and look really spiffy. And I'm like, you know what, you know, it, be real. Yeah, be real. I'm, I'm loving the, the dogs that come into Zoom meetings and hearing a baby cry in the, I'm, I, you know, I might be in the minority, but I, there's actually something um, endearing and connecting to see people in their real life. Like I'm a real person, you know, mm-hmm. I've got a dog barking in the backyard you know, like sue me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, li- I'm living, humani- yeah. I'm living my life and I'm, and I'm here with you, Yeah, you know? And so I, I actually love that. I mean, there's a, obviously there's limitations and things. Here's what I worry about a little bit, or I, I mm-hmm. think about a little bit is I'm with you. The technology is amazing. Well, what we can do today is just extraordinary. I think I told you before we, before we uh, hit the record button on this podcast that the pandemic helped me launch this podcast. I mean, there's things that, you know, the technology, the things that we can do now so easily um, Mm -hmm. is great. My concern is how much will we, um, to what degree will we return without now just leaning on the technology for everything. You know, I'm, I'm talking to organizations that are thinking, man, we can do all our conferences virtual. It costs so much less. And I'm like, please, dear God, let's go back to having conference. I mean, for me, it's like, I, you know, I want to shake people's hands. I want to, I want to hug people. I want to look them in the eye. I want to walk around and go 
sit and have a drink somewhere with somebody. I want to sit in a room. I, I think we're going to start to weigh um, as we become more aware of of what's possible. We're going to start to weigh those calculations uh, a lot more specifically. Uh, I joked, you know, the first six months of the pandemic, you know, you know, my two questions are on the other side of this, how casual is too casual? Mm-hmm. Meaning <laughs> are people going to just show up to the office in pajamas now <laughs> yeah. that all their coworkers have seen them in PJs or, you know, they're just going to show up in pajamas. And secondly, how far is too far? Uh, you know, I mean, the first question I asked for you when you invited me on the podcast was, do we need to be in the same room? Which is the answer, yes, it goes better if we are, is certainly an acceptable one. But knowing what I know about technology, you know, that was that was literally a, a legitimate yep. question on my part. Yep. You know, you know, oh, 20 minutes? No, nah, we're going to have to do this via Zoom. You know, mm-hmm. you know what's, what's, what becomes the new perimeter, as it were? Uh, I would say, too, that there are a large number of things that can all be accomplished in person. Uh, usually those aren't the meeting itself. It's the, uh, around the edges. It's what happens in the hallway. It's what happens at the bar after the, you know, seminars are over. True. It's the casual conversations between transitions. Mm. Um, and, and I would say that a reasonably well-run live meeting can have a lot of value. When you move a reasonably well-run in-person meeting to digital, you can lose a lot of that value around the fringes which wasn't fringe value it was not just part of the the event itself and it becomes very clear very quickly that it's that it that the value of the event uh is now lesser and so i was excited about my opportunity to lean into understanding how to bring value to an event a group of people large or small whether it's digital or in person because now that i've got those skills and i can apply them digitally as we move back to in-person, which we've done here in South Carolina, the value of the in-person event is super, super high now because I've actually got those choreographies, uh, so to speak, down cold. And not to say I've mastered them, but I've got it. I've I've got what works. And this is uh, kind of a a moot uh, promotion unless I get a copy of the recording. But tomorrow for a local chamber, I'm doing a Zoom event called Zoom Doesn't Have to Suck. Mm-hmm. people uh uh i did one recently for an organization um and one of the people on there who is very business savvy very technologically savvy said to me this is this is a month ago so a year into the pandemic she goes i've never used a zoom i've never been in a zoom breakout room before mm-hmm. and i wanted to weep for the quality <laughs> of the events that she's been attending online and i say events a meeting a conglomeration of any sort that, that people aren't using that. So the reality is uh, Zoom is not a substitute for, you know, we, we joke about the Brady Bunch style, you know, 53 yeah. images, you know, five by five on the screen and three pages of that. If people aren't using the technologies, the chat room, the breakout rooms, the responses, the ability to raise a hand, um, then they're, they're really shortchanging what can be done in a, in a digital event. And um, I mean, I'm, I certainly couldn't serve everybody that's listening to this and be like, oh, I'll be your new Zoom coaching expert. But the resources are out there. And if you guys get in touch with Patrick, he'll get in touch with me or send you the same links that I've sent him about making any event better. And it's not strictly about the technology. The technology allows you to do it and you need to understand it. But the ability to have a conversation that goes somewhere and, uh, to keep people fully engaged in it so that they're not checking email so that they're not, you know, feeding the dog so that they're not doing the things that, 
uh, detract from your ability to connect and uh, build community in those situations. I agree. Um, I'm doing, a t- I'm facilitating a ton of Zoom meetings, full day board retreats, you know, with multimedia and videos and breakout rooms and screen shares and, and all kinds of different uh, things. They can be incredibly productive in some ways you can do more. Mm-hmm. Like it, they're more efficient. Correct. They're, they're very productive. I agree that you miss the the hallway and the bar and the whatever. And those are big parts of conferences and meetings, big, big mm-hmm. parts that, that we're missing a lot of. Um, but yeah, I think it can be done really well. I just, I'm afraid that it's, it's, it's now being done so well. I was in a, a group the other day, I don't know, 20 or 30 people, and we were going to do breakouts. And I always ask the question, is there anybody in the room who's never done a breakout before? Cause they don't know how it works. What's going to happen? Why is my screen flickering? And so I'll always ask, is there anybody here that has never done a zoom breakout? So we can kind of let you know what to expect and how this is going to work. And most of the groups that I'm in now, when I ask that question, nobody raises their hand. So it, it is evolving. More and more people are learning these tools and learning how to make them better. And I just hope that we don't rely on them. I know organizations, and you do too, who will, who will never go back to leasing a physical office space or, or they'll cut it way down because they've realized, I don't need all this. I'm do, I'm, mm-hmm. I've thrived this year without it. I, there's certainly no nonprofits who are, they're cutting their, they're just, we don't, we need one room to be able to have our board meetings in and gather Mm -hmm. as a staff or something, but the rest of it, we're going to just, we've learned that working remote is awesome for our business. Doesn't work for everybody. I don't want to get to the place where everybody just, oh, I think this is like the new normal as we do all of our meetings on Zoom. I think there's value in it, but I just, I, I think that the networking and relationship building in particular that leaders need to engage in it's got to go beyond technology. Technology is not the correct, um, right? I, and I don't want to imply that it can all be duplicated, but you can you can keep the value from leaking away. Yeah. And in some ways, the technology can facilitate things that you can't the other True. way. Um, but uh, I would say that the constituents of any given organization are going to dictate that. You know, if the organization decides everybody's going to work from home, and enough of the employees are like, "Well, that ain't working," they're either going to ask for a change. Or they're going to leave and they're going to figure out that we can't retain the people that we want possibly inside that organization. You know, if, if we only have one conference room that we rent for one day a year and, and, and associations, trade shows, all of that, their constituents will let them know if that's an acceptable alternative or not. Um, I think a lot of people are going to experiment with it at first Mm -hmm. because of the cost savings, but. And then uh, want it back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If enough people go, uh, I don't understand. You know, we're budgeted for a plane ticket and three nights in a hotel. Why are you, why are you robbing us of this? Then they'll, they'll find a way to, to meet the needs. Now, the real interesting part is going to be, uh, you know, to the degree to which people can deliver a hybrid event, which um, I can do on a small level, you know, 25 people and five of them zooming in. I can make that work. Maybe even 25 and 25, I can make that work. But if you're talking a multi you know, day multi-person hundreds, thousands of people in attendance, it would be interesting to see, you know, who figures out how to do hold the event and allow people to attend via zoom as more than just an observer from the balcony. You know, how can they be fully engaged or almost fully engaged via digital? I might pick your brain offline about the hybrids. I'm not a fan of them. I I've had people tell me, you know, so we're going to do this board retreat with, you know, 20 board members I got a couple who might not be comfortable, you know, coming to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Can they zoom in? And I'm like, well, with, 
with what we're doing that day in that, at that board retreat now, and we've tried it and it just, it, it does not, it, it detracts. I've, I have found it to be very distracting. So I tell people let's go one or the other. Yeah. Let's do it all zoom and we can really make something good work or let's do it in person. The hybrid people zooming in, uh, it is, it is so difficult to do. It is a challenge. And I won't, I won't assume that I've uh, mastered it to a degree greater than yourself. Certainly willing to throw some ideas around when we're not, you know, Uh, cause we're shifting topics pretty sharply here, which I'm fine with, but let's that's respect okay. the, let's respect the people that are uh, here uh, for the yeah, networking yeah, skills. That's right. So let me, let's do shift again and talk networking skills. Okay. Um, some of what I'm hearing, I'm literally getting emails and calls from some of my coaches saying, how do I, I'm, we're struggling connecting with ourselves inside our organization. Mm-hmm. How do I create meaningful connections with my employees? I used to, you know, walk down the hall every day and go plop down in their chairs and ask them how they're doing. And, you know, we could, we could meet and we could hand memos to each other, whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do. Cause I'm not going to like, you know, let's zoom today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So how do you do it? And I'm, I'm getting these questions about how you network inside the organization. And it's leading me to, to realize that, networking and relationship building is not exclusive to some external meeting people. It needs to happen inside your organization. Even with people already know each other, there's still the value of networking and relationship building inside an organization. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the tenets that transfer and the importance of leaders ability to, to teach people to network and build relationships and to foster an environment where they can do that. Right. Well, and I think uh, particularly in a, a traditional style workplace where most or all the employees show up on a regular basis, we, we don't think of networking there. We don't think of, you know, we think of networking as an external function. Um, but, of course, our use of the words internally like political capital and stuff like that uh, imply that we have established some sort of relationship. But but the 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 space the this i have the word at the tip of my tongue i can't get it but the the structures for internal networking in a physical space are mostly unspoken because they're very natural and unchangeable you don't need a strategy you're going to come through the front door the receptionist is going to say good morning or not depending on you know your relationship with the receptionist it's cultural it's right the right culture. right right exactly um and um and so we don't think too hard about it because it, because most of us know how to navigate it. Uh, number one, number two, if not, we'll pick up our cues from the people around us. Number three, it's kind of thrust upon us. You know, you're going to go into work. So uh, so then what does it look like, uh, you know, when that doesn't exist? How do you maintain those internal networks and relationships? Uh, you, you were laughing about, yeah, you know, you're not going to just call people up and be like, you know, tell me. And and yet I read a, a, a website, askamanager.com written by an HR executive. She produces, she gets so many queries, by the way, she produces three newsletters a day, Q&A news style, a day, four days a week. And uh, and the number of bosses, owners, CEOs that are being that intrusive, you know, let's do a check-in on our emotions every morning, you know, and they're just, and the employees are like, OMG, you know, why are you, oh, you, I cannot believe. So there are people that are overstepping it in an interest of trying to stay connected. Um, I, I think one of the most important questions you can ask anybody in any context, internal, external networking, what are you working on and how can I help? Mm-hmm. 
And that'll be constrained by your role inside the organization. It'll be constrained by your resources and your network outside the organization. It'll be constrained by, you know, a number of things. But that is a generic question that speaks to I'm trying to alleviate some burr in your saddle, you know, what, you know, what are you working on and how can I help? You know, um, whether that's a boss asking an employee or an employee asking a boss Mm -hmm. or an employee to employee. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean to imply that somebody's like, well, you know, the uh, TPS reports or wherever do I need you to take that on for me that, that you have to do that. I can't and meet my obligations, but I can find somebody that can, or let's team up together and see if there's a better way to do the TPS reports or whatever the case may be, you know? So I I just think that the implication, and I don't mean to imply that it's insincere, but you, when you ask that question sincerely, what are you working on and how can I help? Mm. That, that question is applicable in almost any setting, your spouse, your kids, mm-hmm. your parents, your boss, your employees, someone you've met at a networking event, someone that you've known for years. What are you working on? How can I help? Um, you know, and see, it, I, I just think that speaks to people at a level of we're in this together and that will always get a response. I, I appreciate something about this conversation that um maybe only I would notice, you know, our listeners know my passion for and belief in the use of questions for so many things. And you've really modeled that. I've really paid attention to and looked for the intersections between inquiry and relationship building and networking. You know, a while ago when you, when you asked the question, uh, you know, you're at the networking event and you ask somebody, is this your first time at one of these? Do you normally come to these? What are they like? You know, who like inquiry, uh, what the doors that opens up. And when you say, you know, what are you working on and how can I help again? Inquiry opens doors. Uh, it goes lots of different places, but I, I appreciate that. Um, I don't know how intentional it's been on your part or if it just kind of comes with the territory and what you do too. But I appreciate that intersection of the use of questions to open doors. I think it's real powerful. Um, Oh, still a few more things to cover. Let's, let's see if we can cover them quickly. Um, you are, you are, a, you are certainly a leader and, and many of the people that you lead are not your employees. They're not your volunteers. In fact, in many cases, they're literally your clients. So you're leading your clients or you're leading people who aren't your employees or even your volunteers, like a lot of our nonprofit leaders would lead. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what are, what are some of the leadership tenets that might be unique to that dynamic of leadership? How do you lead people that are paying clients? Uh, excellent question. Um, I knew that question was coming. I still did not put as much energy into thinking of the answer. I, I, I would say that um, it starts with the notion that whether they're your employees, your volunteers, your board, your boss, paying clients, people that you're paying money to, any of those – at one level, they they carry the similarity of the fact that they are all, quote, volunteers. And I don't mean that there's, that there's no money flowing in either direction, but any of those relationships can be severed at any moment. The boss can quit. The employee can quit. The volunteer can quit. The board can quit. Your client can quit. You can quit your clients. So 
the, the first thing I would say is an understanding that all relationships are voluntary. I mean, you know, they can be your employee and still at work and have quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quit caring, <laughs> quit trying, you know, uh, and, and, you know, everybody's got a horror story. Every, uh, uh, you know, employer's got a horror story around that. Um, and, you know, it might be actively working against your organization in some cases. I would say that uh, it goes back to reminding yourself why you're in that relationship. What are they looking at you for? You know, my paying clients are paying me to to find the resources that they need in the very broadest sense. Sometimes the resources are in the form of people and relationships. Sometimes it's a better vendor, which, of course, is still delivered by a company and a person. Um, sometimes it, it, it's a better employer, a better, better person to work for. Um, but they look at me in the broadest sense for resources. So my ability to make sure that they see and know that I'm continuing to gather, harvest, catalog resources, create the introductions. Um, so I, I think that's the first part of it is that you, you lead by, uh, by keeping your promise by doing what you said you're going to do. And the degree to which uh, my clients come to me and they're like, how can I assist you? Or somebody was asking about, can you deliver the things that you say you did? And I spent 20 minutes trying to convince this guy that or gal that, you know, they need to be doing business with you, you know, says that, that they're getting their money's worth, so to speak. So, uh, for a couple of my clients, it was coaching light. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to need a lot of my time, you know, we obviously have to have a model around that. But, um, you know, we, one of my clients who will speak very highly of me was a DJ right up until the pandemic hit. Okay. And then we had to quickly figure out uh, how he could change his business model. Uh, I, I told him what I thought would be a good idea. Uh, he then chose to become proficient in that. And then I, uh, you know, God, the universe, however you choose to think of it, brought people to me that asked me, do I know people with that skill set? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, got one right over here. And uh, it's turned out it worked real well for him. We, we, we decided, I think I probably need to trademark it. You know, of course, so we have DJs from back in the day, right? And then we had uh, MTV, for those of you that are old like me, and we had VJs. And so we've created Casey as a ZJ, a, CJ. a Zoom jockey. <laughs> his, his ability to let the leader do the speaking and have the music fade in and out and the breakout rooms magically appear and disappear, you know, at the right moment and, and, you know, coach somebody on technology off on the side while the CEO is, you know, in the middle of their keynote, you know, or the introductory remarks and somebody's logging in late needs to be let into the room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think, like I said, you know, I, 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 I had the idea of what he could do with it. I, you know, sent him to go figure out how to make this happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just the ability or my willingness to remind myself that they're looking at me for resources, mm. you know, and that, 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 that what those resources might be might change if their business changes or the needs of the business change and to continue to provide that and, and to create systems and places where they can support each other, um, you know, is, is super important. So I, I think it's just reminding yourself what, what, what do they, what do they come to you for? You know, when they when they engaged in that relationship with you as a client, as an employee, as a volunteer, as a board member, what did they come to you for? And just be visible, not in a chest thumping sort of way, but be visible about the fact that you're continuing to make that happen. So the key word there, the central theme there that I'm hearing is support. 
and mm-hmm. that is a that is a that is definitely a big leadership tenet. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, people, the listeners of this episode are. I'm going to remind you that we did. We're doing this at six thirty in the morning. That's why you're probably hearing more coughing and throat clearing than you normally do. <laughs> uh, even though you know we've got our coffee and all of that, but um, uh, so I'm going to bring this down the home stretch, Dan, with a couple of questions I like to ask sure. all my guests, and the first one is. Um, you know, tell us a, a, about a leader or two in your early life or career who have helped influenced and shaped your perspective on leadership today. Who, who would one or two of those people be and why? I would say that uh, I worked for a couple summers for my dad, which uh, I think if the situation arises, most people should do for a couple of summers. And probably that's about it for most people. <laughs> I, raising my hand, uh, I did yeah, it. I did it. Well, and, not and, for your dad. Right, yeah, <laughs> but I worked my, for my, my dad, dad too. Well, and Patrick knows my dad, which is coincidental and uh, kind of cool. But um, you know, he said, uh, you know, what I got from him at the age of thirteen was whether it's in your job description or not. If somebody is there getting something done, uh, you know, if there's if it's clear something needs to be done, and you're not immediately call to be doing something else in your job description, you know, put your hand to it. I love it. You know, there's somebody here local who will remain nameless because I'm not sure if I embarrassed her or not, but I, uh, as a single guy, I was someone's plus one to an event uh, of uh, which she is the leader of that organization. And as the social event wrapped up and she was caught talking with people as she should, uh, you know, I started helping fold chairs and, you know, I mean, I, I basically turned myself into the wait staff because that's just my view of serving people. You know, it was 11 at night. These people were being paid to be there, but I know they would rather be home, you know, whatever mm-hmm. per hour they're making, you know, at that point they want to be home. And I, I've never had the guts to go back to this individual and go, did I embarrass you by, you know, peeling off my suit jacket and starting to clear tables and fold chairs or, you know, did that make a good impression on you? Or do you think anybody in your world even noticed or cared? Uh, but a- as I was doing it, I couldn't not do it. You know, it just, it's, a, it, it, it just carry over from, you know, my dad, you know, Hey, if the job's got to be done, that's cool. And I do it. So th- that was, that's one. Um, and I, 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 I can think of a lot of sales mentorship that I got. I think I don't remember getting a lot of commentary around leadership, but I think it was modeled to me in the form of authenticity, Mm. you know, decide what you stand for and roll with it. You and I were talking before the podcast started about, you know, whether or not uh, someone is perceived as warm and uh, that someone thought they were warm, but was not being perceived as warm. And, and I chuckled because I'm don't, really much care if I'm perceived as warm. I'm more concerned that I'm perceived as a guy that will, you know, tell you the truth. And if it takes a two before to tell you the truth and that's on you, not me, you know, you should have been more receptive before I had to get out the two before, but that's okay because I know who I am, you know, I, I and I'm okay with my role as the guy that's going to be super blunt, uh, not, not blunt in a mean way, but if I'm trying to ease you into the truth and you're not receiving it as I'm easing into it, I'll get, more and more clear about uh, the truth that's in front of us. Mm. And that's my, that that's who I am. So w- what I've seen modeled is authenticity, mm. it, be who you are and be comfortable with who you are. That doesn't mean don't work on anything that's a flaw or that you never adjust your delivery based on the person you're talking to. Right. But, um, 
at your core, you've got to be who you are. Yeah, so that's true. Authenticity. You make me think of a leadership definition that we've talked about probably a lot on this program now that I think about it. But Kevin Cashman is the author of my favorite leadership book called Leadership from the Inside Out. Mm-hmm. And um, and I refer a lot of people to it. And he defined leadership in it as authentic self-expression that creates value. And he says it's a three-legged stool. It has to be authentic, just mm-hmm. like you're talking about. People see through the superficial it's got to get expressed or it's not leadership. You can't mm-hmm. just keep it to yourself, but it has to create value. So he said, we all, we all know a lot of authentic self-expressors. <laughs> the question is, does it create value? Mm-hmm. And some authentic expression can be destructive. It can it can True. remove value from or potential value from a situation. So I think, um, and I, you know, I've known you long enough to know, I've never seen your directness um, take value away. I've seen it add value. And so for me, as long as, as long as it adds value, when it gets to the point where it's toxic or destructive or uh, it alienates people or it shuts down a door that could have otherwise been opened, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then yeah, it, it's the, it, that authenticity, as long as it, as long as it creates value, which I think in, in your work, again, everything I've seen of you create value every day. Well, if you uh, interviewed people. enough people that know, but you'd probably find a few. Oh, well, we all have, yeah, well, <laughs> and, 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 and that's not just taking into account that I'm not always <laughs> at my best. Even when I'm at my best, there's still people who be like, yeah, yeah I, res- I disagree. True. It doesn't yeah, resonate with everybody. Uh, c- correct. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a handful of women in Houston, Texas between marriage <laughs> one and marriage two that would tell you that, uh, uh, Dan didn't necessarily create a lot of value in their world. Uh, the, the, that's for another podcast. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different, um, different, la- yeah, last different question. topic altogether. The last question, Dan, um, if you had to sum up your uh, perspective on leadership in general, if you had the Dan Andrews, here's my 10 second uh, point of view on leadership, the thing that I think all leaders need to know and keep in mind, remember, et cetera, what would that be? What's your sort of number one statement on leadership? I would say uh, do what you say you're going to do. And if you can't acknowledge it as soon as possible. That's I good. think, uh, I think I, I might mangle the quote, but not the gist of it. Uh, Jack Welch, uh, you know, tell me the truth and tell me early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. because I, I think that regardless of your role in someone else's world, if you anticipate, uh, if you have or anticipate a, a leadership role with them, they need to be able to trust what you say or to know that you'll own the mistake and keep them updated on it. You know, I have the hardest time convincing people. I say, I can handle anything. Tell me what you want me to handle. And people are vague and they're obscure and they hope that they can fix it. And you won't notice. And I'm just like, that's just crazy. You know, I have resources you don't even know because you never asked. So when you tell me what you're struggling with, it may be, the answer may be a lot easier than you think it is. You know, and and it, people always assent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But people tend to be vague and uncertain and unclear. And you know, make fewer promises. Keep the ones you've got. If you can't acknowledge it, give people a new timeline. Let them move ahead with it. Uh, that, that's it. Because when the trust is gone, you know, you you can't lead. You know, the minute they think that that that. Uh, what you say may or may not be the truth. You, you've pretty much destroyed. Are you familiar with the book radical candor? 
I am not, but yeah. I probably you, should have written it. I mean, uh, I should probably read it. <laughs> <laughs> you probably should have written it. Uh, you, you would love it, Dan. Write Down Your Alley. It's one of my favorites. It's a fairly a fairly new book, uh, relatively. Uh, it's written by an author named Kim Scott, and it's Radical Candor, How to Get What You Want by Saying What You Mean. And um, she breaks down, uh, uh, there's a matrix uh, a quadrant matrix of, of course. everything that goes from ruinous empathy, she calls it, right, to radical candor, right. And there's like obnoxious aggression and and yeah, something yeah. else. I don't yeah, remember yeah. what the fourth one is, but the ruinous empathy is such a powerful concept because we think we're saving people's feelings or we're you know we we just we don't want to hurt them and so we don't say it when actually that's ruinous. We're not helping them, Mm-mm. but yet there's a there's a level of candor that, like I said, doesn't add value. So it's that radical candor, that sweet spot of, uh, I just, I just love it. How to get what you want by saying what you mean. And I thought of it immediately as you were describing that, um, Dan, how can, uh, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in knowing more about how you might be able to help them with networks and, uh, relationships? What's the best way for them to reach you? Oh gosh. Uh, sadly, if you Google my name, uh, Daniel Andrews, you get the, uh, prime minister of Australia. And if you Google my full name, Daniel Patrick Andrews, you get even more hits for the prime minister of Australia because he shares my exact name. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is pretty easy to find, uh, Daniel Andrews, uh, my email address, Daniel Andrews at network in the word N I N network in uh, my phone number, 803-361-6825. If that all fails, uh, facebook.com slash Dan the Man with the Plan 1967. We'll pull up my profile and you can start from there. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. We're giving you several ways, folks, to connect with uh, with Dan. And it, it'll be worth it. Trust me. Good guy to know. Dan, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you getting up early and coming over here and joining me in person for this. Always makes it richer. I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, folks, don't forget Leadership Systems, uh, LSI, a new sponsor of the Leadership Window podcast. We appreciate them. Go to leadershipsystems.com. And in the meantime, uh, next week, I think we're finally going to work it out. We'll have Dr. Brian Simmons, Associate Provost at Columbia International University, where I'm in the process of earning my doctoral in organizational leadership. And we're going to talk a little bit about the academics of leadership. We're going to talk about steward and servant leadership. We're going to talk about faith in leadership, lots of different stuff with Dr. Simmons. So we're looking forward to that. And until then, lead on. Lead on.